since I'm going to be talking tonight about uh, uh, measuring personal maturity, I thought maybe I could start off with a story uh, about maturity. And I'm thinking of a, a couple, elderly couple, who went to uh, uh, a doctor to get kind of a, a checkup. And uh, as they were there, the doctor said, you guys are in excellent physical shape. Uh, your memories are getting a little short. Uh, you might want to stop off on the way home and get you a little notepad that you can kind of write things down on to keep track of. And so um, uh, they did on the way home, stopped off and got a, a little notepad for each of them that they could have on hand. And they got home and were sitting around and kind of relaxing and in the front room. And, and uh, the husband got up and he was heading towards the kitchen. And his wife said to him, you go in the kitchen. And uh, she said, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the kitchen. And she said, well, would you mind getting me something? And he said, no, what do you want? So she says, um, how about a bowl of ice cream? He says, okay. She said, do you need to write that down? And he said, no, no, I got it, ice cream. And she said, oh, could I add something to it? He said, sure. She said, uh, could you put some strawberries on it? He said, yeah, I'll put strawberries on it. She says, you want to write that down so you don't forget? No, no, I got it. Ice cream, strawberries. Want to add one more thing? Okay, what is it? She said, would you put some whipped cream on top of it? And uh, he says, sure. She says, now, you better write it down. No, no, he says, I got it. Ice cream, strawberries, whipped cream. So he goes out in the kitchen. He's out there putting around for a little bit. Pretty soon he comes back in and he hands her a plate with a, a bacon and eggs on it. And she looks at him and she says, see, I told you you should have written it down. She says, you forgot my toast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as a, as early as a Christian, uh, I grew up in the Christian church, and uh, I accepted Christ early in my life as a 13-year-old, but I didn't let it bother me too much. And then as I grew older, uh, I met my wife, Nancy, and uh, uh, we started going to church again. And uh, as I started going back to church, on my Christian journey, I wanted to try and find out a way um, to see, what do you require of me, God? Uh, especially as a husband. What do you require of me as a husband? And so, as a young man, growing up in a Christian community, uh, maybe you're like me, I heard thousands of sermons. And the sermons always talked about you should or you shouldn't. But I didn't get a lot of specific instructions about how I could or how I should not. And so, I didn't feel like I got a lot of information on for personal application in my life. And that's what I was looking for. And so I started reading the Bible for myself, and I decided that I need to find a way of making uh, Scripture and, and my Christian life personally applicable. And so as a means of discovering uh, my flesh in all this, and I saw the need to do that, uh, so I could defeat my flesh. I, I would need to discover where my flesh was to be able to defeat it. So I started devising ways 
of, of making myself more accountable. Now, um, in, in, as a means of trying to make myself more accountable, I realized that Nancy seemed to be able to have a, a, a very present awareness of areas in my life where I was not like Christ. More commonly known as my flesh. And she seemed to be able to put her finger at random on areas in my life that needed improvement. And, um, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, well, um, I, since we have a ministry of ministering to couples, uh, and especially to husbands, helping them learn how to literally illustrate Christ to their wife, uh, learn how to put their flesh to death, uh, learn how to uh, die to self, etc. Um, I realized that I needed to work on me, and a lot of other guys were realizing this too. A common phrase that I heard guys say was, why does she always have to push my buttons? Why can't she quit pushing my buttons? And of course, that would be a common uh, solution in a lot of marriage counseling situations. Why don't you quit pushing his buttons? And I'm thinking as I talk with these guys, have you ever noticed how when your buttons get pushed, your flesh shows up? And if your flesh is supposed to die, I got a better solution. Instead of getting her to quit pushing your buttons, how about getting rid of the buttons? If especially if that's your flesh. So I, it, it took me a while uh, to convince my wife that it would be safe for her to share with me areas of my life in which she saw a lack of Christ-likeness. And uh, believe me, um, she has a full-time job. will always be totally employed uh, just helping me stay on target. But at any rate... Uh, as I started working with, we started working together about this, uh, she would say to me, like maybe in the evening, um, as a means of getting ready to report to me an incident, she'd say, um, do you remember such and such? No, I, I don't remember that. Do you remember this and this about that? No, I, I don't remember that. And she'd say, well, if you can't remember it, why should I even bother telling you about it? And I'd say, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't remember it. See, if it was relationship-oriented, it was Greek to me. And so she would say, well, what are we going to do then? If you want me to help you see areas in your life, and I wanted her to help me see areas in my life where I need to be more like Christ, she says, if, if, if I'm going to help you do that, what good does it do me if I try to get you to remember it and you don't remember it? I said, why don't you point it out to me when I do it? And she said, what if we're with other people? That's okay. What if my attitude isn't proper? That's okay. What if the way I say it isn't the way you want to hear me say it? That's okay. I want you to tell me anyhow. Because I want to know. I need to find out where I'm falling short, where I'm not portraying Christ to you. So she said, okay. So it, invariably, we would be with friends. And I'd get to 
Yeah. You just did it. I did what? What we were talking about last night. Oh, oh, I did? Yes, you did. Now, our friends were like, wow, I, I, well, we didn't know it was so late. Uh, we got to go. Because if you're that serious in front of your friends, you make them nervous. We lost all of our friends. I, I, I kid you not, we lost all of our friends because we were too intense for them. But there was an advantage to that too because it left nobody but Nancy and I and we became each other's best friends. And so I wanted her to help me see more effectively where I was falling short. Let me give you another example. We had talked about the idea of agreeing that I need to be more instant in prayer. It's something I need to do. And so a little bit of time had gone by, and she remembered having, that we had talked that and discussed it. And, and you guys, you ever notice how women seem to have these phenomenal memories? I mean, they don't forget nothing. And, and see, I believe that God made them that way. I believe that God made a wife to be the family historian. Because if I don't remember anything about all these things she's talking about me doing, somebody needs to. If I'm going to see them and work on them, somebody has to have a file, so to speak, on that. And so... I'm getting ready to go to a meeting where I'm going to have a class teaching husbands how to be more like Christ to their wife. So I'm getting ready to go, and I have a daughter I need to talk to. And I said to my wife, I, I need to talk with our daughter. And so I went back, and I talked to her for a while, and I got ready to go, and Nancy said to me, did you remember to pray with her? Um... Do you always think like that? I asked her. And she said, was that question meant to make me back off? I thought it was meant to find out if you always think like that. And she said, well, no, I don't always think like that. Now, I went to the meeting, and as I'm involved in the class, discussion, teaching, etc., I'm thinking about what took place back then. So I've learned to multiple, multiple, uh, multitask, my wife does it all the time. So if she can do it, I ought to be able to do it. So I'm, I'm talking with people about what's going on, and I'm thinking about that scenario. And as I'm thinking about this scenario, and, it, and it's, it's kind of like this. You know, I talked about the idea of a person having a human spirit, and it's the same spirit that the Spirit of God indwells when we accept Christ. So I have a human spirit. And so do I understand much about my human spirit? Nah. And so... At this point, though, as a means of trying to convey an idea, it's like while I'm there talking to these people, I'm searching out my own spirit. I'm searching out. It's like I get a flashlight, and I go down, and I start shining. I'm, this is not a new theology, okay? I'm just kind of giving an idea. And, and I'm shining a light around in, in my heart to see what's in there, and I'll be, ah, there it is, right there. 
It was designed by my flesh to make her back off. And I got to thinking about it. I didn't invite my flesh to say that. I didn't invite my sin nature to speak up and make her tend to want to back off. My flesh took over. It owned me at that moment. It did what it wanted to do to protect itself. I didn't know that. So when I got home, I said to her, I said, hey, hon, uh, you remember that thing that happened before I left for class? And they always do. She said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, I got to thinking about that, and you know what? It was designed to make you back off. And I didn't even know. I didn't invite my flesh to do that. It did it on its own. And I didn't even know it. And had you not said something, it never would have even entered my mind to challenge my own flesh about that. And so I said, I got to think about it. And you know what? You're right. It was designed to make you back off. And being a good helpmeet, and having spent years trying to convince her it was safe, she said to me, and? I, I was raw. <coughs> I was wrong. That is so hard to say. See, wrong starts with a W. It sticks in my throat. It doesn't want to come out. But I said to her, I said, you're right. I was, <coughs> that word, wrong. And being a good help me, she said to me, and? Now, my flesh could easily say, good grief, lady. Here I am trying to do a good thing. I'm trying to do a right thing. And you've got to get in my face about this. I don't think that's right. Now, my flesh could do that. And has in the past. And that's why she didn't feel it was safe. But now, what God is prompting me through her to do is ask her for her forgiveness. But you know what I've learned? If I don't ask forgiveness from her perspective, it's just a formula. Because in the Christian community, we have a Christian formula. All right, would you forgive me? This is my repentant look. But I enacted the first half, and so since I enacted the first half, why is a good Christian, why she's got to enact the second half? Yeah, I forgive you. It hasn't happened, but I think it has because I enacted the formula. But has forgiveness really taken place? No, because repentance didn't take place. So now I get to reflect on what I did to her from her perspective. So I say to her, as I'm thinking about it, okay, if that were me, it would have made me feel rejected, attacked, unimportant, dishonored, uncared for yeah so now I have to say to her not, not, I have to I'm talking about my heart makes me because I'm feeling what I've done to her and I say to her you know what I could see where that would make you feel unimportant attacked uncared for dishonored that's not right Christ would not do that to you and I did so God is not happy with me. I could see why you wouldn't be happy with me. 
I need to learn how to be like Christ to you. Could you forgive me for that? And you know what? She always forgives me. Especially if my attitude is what God wants it to be. That's the hard part for me. And so as I go along, I start looking at the idea of, okay, how can I make what Scripture is saying to me more personally applicable? And so what I'm looking at is the idea of saying, okay, if I'm looking at measuring personal maturity and I'm looking at the idea of how can I make this application in my life, I'd like, I, I gave you a form. Anybody doesn't have that form, maybe we can get an extra to them. Okay, we need one over here. And here's, oh boy, uh, it's quite a few. Uh, let's get these forms to you because in this form, I'm going to try and fill this in. And um, I'm going to try and take uh, Galatians 5:22 through 23 because this is what I'd like to share with you. And, and in Galatians 5:22 through 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we're going to do is take this and fill out. We're going to take the word used to identify over on the far side there. We're going to take the word that talks about uh, words used to identify spiritual maturity would be what's labeled as the fruit of the Spirit. And then what I'd like to do next is explain, uh, give explanations of what those words mean for personal application. And so when I look at this, the first thing I need to recognize is this. Um, We're going to call this, like I say, fruit of the Spirit. And so I'd like to say this, that first of all, um, we're talking about fruit of the Spirit, and, and again, the, the reason why I designed this in this fashion is because I wanted to find ways of making it applicable to me. And, and this has been very helpful to me because I want the Word to come alive for me and live in my heart. And so my goal was to find out, okay, what does Galatians 5.22 through 23 say to me? And so... The first thing I'd like to do before we actually get this chart is, is say this. that The word fruit of the Spirit is not fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And what it does is it gives you words that explain what this fruit of the Spirit looks like. Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If, if I pull out a grapefruit here, it is a grapefruit fruit, okay? But it has many components to it. It's still called a grapefruit, even though there's various uh, components to it. For example, uh, you have on the outside the peel. Now, if you take the peel of a lemon, an orange, or a grapefruit, and you take just the peel, and you take and and, and bend it so it's in this shape, and you're going to squeeze it here at the bottom, and you light a match, and you squeeze it, it'll spark, because the oil shooting out of the skin will ignite. And so you'll see sparks coming off that oil from the match. So the skin has oil in it too. Another part, another component to the grapefruit. Inside of the skin is the pulp. And then inside of that is, is the core that runs down through the center. And then there's little sections in there. 
and this section has a skin around it. And the skin has vesicles inside of that, and then juice inside the vesicle. And then there's the seeds. So all these components make up the grape fruit. So that's what I'd like to look at here. For example, uh, only a mature tree can bear fruit. An immature tree will not bear fruit. Now, as it's getting more and more mature, you'll see evidence of it getting ready to bear fruit. For example, you'll see a flower, and then the flower has this little bead that's left. But if it's immature, uh, the bead will just fall off. That's the, the, the nubbin that's going to be great for it. It'll just fall off because it's not mature enough yet to handle that. And so what we're looking at is that we all need to develop a greater degree of spiritual maturity, and we need to recognize that, that we only will bear this fruit as we are mature. So how am I going to get there? How do I know what I'm doing? So let me look first at the idea that uh, the word I'm going to use here is love. The first word I'm going to use is love. Now, and this is the word agape, or agapao. And so, if I look at this then, uh, I'd, I'd like to um, use some ancient Hebrew to kind of make this come to life. Because in, in our Bible, this word love is translated love from several other words. Uh, and so, what I want to do is find out, okay, what does this word love mean? What did God mean when he said love? And again, you know, people say, well, what is love? Let me propose to you what love is. And so love, this is the first letter in the Hebrew for the word love, aleph. And the next letter is hey, and the next letter is bet. And so these are the three letters that make up the word love. And so, this is the word ahav. And so, uh, whenever you look at the ancient Hebrew then, you see that the first letter, aleph, in the ancient Hebrew looks like this. Now, let me give you an idea what, why this is called strong or leader or chief or first or strength, because this is the head of an ox. Now, I've done this to kind of help you see that it's the head of an ox. Can you see it? Okay, I'm going to revert back now to the letter. And that's why it's called strong, because it's the head of an ox for strength. And it's the leader, chief, first, etc. And then in, in Hebrew, then, we have the letter bet. This is the word for house or home. And so you put this together now, and you have the root word, for this word, ahav, you have the root word. And the root word in this instance is strong leader of the home. So, Aleph Bet is defined as the strong leader. I have over here the strong. Oh, yeah, good. Who did that? Okay, great. Thank you. Now let me do that. All right. Now all I can do is figure out how to use it. Okay, this is, this is Aleph. It's the strong leader of the home here. So what is the strong leader of the home? Now, when I pronounce these two words, you're going to know what it is. The letters are Abba. 
Father. So the root word to love is strong leader of the home. Abba. Okay, now. Now we next, if we're going to go further with it to understand what this word means, we have to add a letter. And this letter is hey, and the letter hey is about a, uh, it's a picture of a window. Now, if I could draw a bar right down here, could you see a window with a sliding up and down bit? And so that's why it's called reveal or behold. You can see into or you can see out of the window. So this is the word reveal. It means to behold. Now, this letter is hey. Now, many of you as parents may have found yourself saying to your kids, hey, 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 and they don't pay any attention. Maybe they don't speak Hebrew. (laughs) So when I take this word in this instance, it's as though uh, because it's in the center of the word, it's kind of like this word becomes the heart of this, or this letter becomes the heart of this word. And so now I have the word ahav. And because this is the heart of the word, basically what I'm looking at is that this word is revealing the heart of the Father. And so what is this word again? Love. The word love means to reveal the heart of the Father. Now, let me give you an idea of how incredible this adds to our understanding of the word. By, for example, going to 1 John 7. Let me insert this definition in 1 John 7, or 4, 7, and give you an idea of why this meaning in the ancient Hebrew is so incredibly valuable. Let me read it to you. The first word is beloved, so I translate that. Those of you who are a revelation of the heart of the Father. Let us love, let us be a revelation of the heart of the Father to one another, for being a revelation of the heart of the Father is from God. And everyone who is a revelation of the heart of the Father is born of God and knows God. How could you not know God and be a revelation of the heart of the Father? You can't. And then it says, The one who is not a revelation of the heart of the Father does not know God. For God is a revelation of the heart of the Father. By this revelation of the heart of the Father was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. That is a manifestation of the heart of God, the Father. God has sent his only begotten Son in the world so that we might live through him. In this is the revelation of the heart of the Father. Not that we were a revelation of the heart of the Father, God, but that he was a revelation of the heart of the Father and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sin. Now let me switch over to 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, it's like, this is so incredibly fun to see what the ancient Hebrew meant and how we can make the word come even more life to us For example, 1 Corinthians 13. And let me jump down here to verse 4. Love, or a revelation of the heart of the Father is this. It's patient. A revelation of the heart of the Father is this. It's kind. 
It's not jealous. And the revelation of the heart of the Father does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, nor does it take into account a wrong suffered. And so, and it goes down to verse 8, the heart of the Father never fails. We know that. The heart of the Father never fails. So the revelation of the heart of the Father is what love is. So I have to ask myself the question, am I? If I say I love my wife, am I a revelation of the heart of the Father to her? This way, this has so much more meaning to me. And so I look at this and I say, okay, so what is then the idea of uh, how do I demonstrate, how can I personally demonstrate the heart of the Father to my wife? And so it would be by learning to care for my wife as Christ would. So what characteristics does a woman want in her husband? What is the capacity to illustrate the following attitudes of the heart? And so I look at the capacity to illustrate the following attitudes of the heart to my wife. For example, does she feel protected by me? Does she feel protected by me? Not do I think she feels protected. Does she feel protected by me? For example, uh, have a couple come in my office and his wife is kind of a screamer. And so she's screaming at him and she's saying, he loves his parents and his family more than he loves me. He doesn't care anything about me. They're all more important to him than I am. And he says, now, why do you have to do that? Why do you always have to say that? That's not true. That's not true. Why do you say it? And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does that work for you? And he said, no. And I said, well, would you let me put words in your mouth? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, would you, if I say something, would you repeat it to her? He said, yeah. I said, okay, here's what I want you to say. You know what? It is such a shame that my character is as such that I have caused you to believe that my family is more important to me than you are. That's not right. I know Christ would not affect you that way, but I have, and that's not right. So I finished saying that, and, and he says, um, say it again. So I started going through it real slow, and he's looking at me, and I said, no, no, look her in the eyes. So he turns and he looks her in the eyes, and she's looking him right back in the eyes. And this happens every time. She'll look him right back in the eyes. He says, okay, what do I say? I said, okay, I am sorry that my character, and I'm saying it slow enough so you can repeat it, I'm so sorry that my character is as such that I have brought you to the point where you believe that my actions have caused you to understand that I love my family more than I love you? This is not right. This is not what God wants for us. Christ wouldn't do that to you. I need to not do that to you. I want you to know that I will work on not doing that anymore. And so he stops. And we, we got absolute peace and calm for a couple seconds here. And then she says, well, that's fine for now, but 15 minutes from now when we're out in the parking lot, he's going to be doing right back where he was before. It hasn't changed him at all. And he says, see, why do you have to do that? I said, whoa, whoa, you said that didn't work. He said, yeah, it doesn't. I said, 
you want to try it again? He said, yeah. And I said, isn't it a shame that who I am is as such that you have no confidence that Christ-likeness in me will last longer than 15 minutes? That's not right. I need to learn how to change permanently so you don't have to feel like that. And he repeats it to her. And now she has her head laying on his shoulder looking up at him moony-eyed. And he says, I got a problem. I said, yeah, what's that? He says, will you go home with me? (laughs) Does she feel protected by you or not? Or, for example, does she feel safe? Does she feel threatened by you? Like, for example, the young couple that I was working with, and I started working with them before they were married, and then they got married, and he was out in the backyard one day, and he was trying to put up some forms for a, a foundation for a little brick wall he was going to build. So he's uh, putting the stakes in for the forms, and as he's driving this one stake in, it splits. It makes him mad, so he's pounding in. It splits again. Now he's really mad, he's beating on this thing like that, and it's, it just kind of crumbles. And he gets so mad, he just starts smacking this thing with a hammer, and break it throw it across the like that, and throw the hammer down, and gets up and walks in the house. And his wife is kind of like... And because we'd been working with it beforehand, he said, What? And she said, Nothing. See, wives say that all the time. And we like to believe them. But at any rate, she says, nothing. And he says, no, something's wrong. What is it? She says, um, I'm scared. And he says, why? Just because I saw what you did to that steak. He said, that's a dumb steak. She says, yeah, I know. If you do that to a dumb steak, what would you do to me if I made you mad? Did she feel safe by him? No. Say, well, that's her problem. No. It's his problem. If he's supposed to portray Christ to his wife, he did not do it. And so is he willing to hear that? Is he willing to learn that? Well, yeah, time went on, he was. Then there's the idea of, does she feel understood? Would she say he understands me? It's not uncommon for wives to say, you don't understand me. I remember one time I was talking with a couple, this guy said something, and his wife said, why did you say that? And he said, say what? And she repeated how what he said affected her. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not what I said. And she says, that is what you said. To her, that's what he said. And he said, no, I did not say it. You don't understand. I said, hold it. Do you know that the burden for understanding does not rest on her shoulders? Scripture says, husbands, you live with your wife in understanding. You cannot find a scripture that says a wife is supposed to understand her husband. But there is one that clearly says a husband is supposed to understand his wife. Do we? 
You kidding? Nobody understands women. <laughs> then we are wrong if we don't understand our wife. Because God requires that of me. And so, does she feel that I understand her? Does she think I accept her? Whatever it may be. Does she feel like he accepts me? And would that be something that Christ would make a while feel? Does she feel valued by her husband? Does he cite to her the things that he believes God has built qualities in her? Does he tell her, like in Proverbs 31, it says, her children rise up early in the morning and praise her? Where'd they learn it? From the dead. And so does her husband. Do we know how to praise her and value her? So she feels like she has had an encounter with Christ. And so does she feel cherished? Does she feel cherished? Does she feel like her heart has been heard? Not just her words, her heart. And so on occasion we've said, okay, ladies, well, let me ask it here. Any of you ladies think we ought to take any of these out of here? <laughs> yeah. we, we could, we could. But what I'm looking at is that in this type of the situation, Proverbs is full of illustrations that calls a husband, a father, to illustrate these characteristics to his wife. And if I'm going to be Christ-like, this is what God requires of me. And so as I look at that then, I say, okay, if I've got an explanation of these words, love, it means giving of self to me. It means giving of myself to my wife. So do I even know, do I know how to give of myself to my wife? Now, the average guy might say, yeah, I handle the paycheck when I come home and, and uh, make sure the car is running. Um, wives... Wives are very capable. They don't need a husband to earn a living. There's other people, uh, friends, relatives, mechanics that can fix their car. That doesn't mean I'm giving up myself, my heart. Do I even know what that means? Typically, we don't. That's why we have a ministry where we're discipling husbands on how to illustrate Christ to their wife. And so... We, we see this as a big need. Or the idea of, I'm available to those for whom I'm responsible, and they know it. They all know it. If it's time to put the kids to bed or give them a bath or stuff like that, am I involved in that? If I'm in the middle of a day on a weekend and I'm out working on the car and I've got my whole list of projects going and my wife says to me, comes out and says, um, can I go to the grocery store? You know what my first response tends to be? How long are you going to be gone? And she says, oh, um, 20, 30 minutes, when she knows it's going to be an hour, hour and a half. But why does she say 20 or 30 minutes? Because that's the only way she's going to get me to be available to her. So I say, okay, this means you better only be 20 or 30 minutes, too. So she leaves. 
do I readjust my schedule and take everything beyond where I am and move it way down and the kids now become my primary focus? No. I wedge them in there. So she comes back an hour and a half later and where am I? Where have you been? Why well, was just shopping and I had all these things to get and she has to find excuses for me? To be able to function by being the, the uh, uh, mother, the wife of the house, and out grocery shopping for things that we need? She has to give me excuses for this? Is something wrong in that picture? Sure is. Would Christ have time for us? Yeah, he gave his whole life. And so, am I available for those, to those for whom I am responsible? Do they feel I'm available? And so then, what's the opposite for that, for me? Opposite for comparison? Selfishness. Now, why do I say that selfishness to me is the opposite of love? Because some people think hate is the opposite of love. I don't think so. You know why I think selfishness is the opposite? For God so loved the world, God is love, that he unselfishly gave his only begotten son. So to me, unselfishness is kind of like love. So to me, the opposite of love would be selfishness. Now, why do I do that? Because I find out I'm selfish. See, I start realizing I'm very selfish. For example, Nancy and I, um, let's see, what time is it? Eight, ten. Never going to work. But at any rate, um, Nancy and I, uh, her folks have come to visit us, her mom and her dad. This is years ago when they were alive. And her sister and her sister's husband come to visit us from Nebraska to Arizona. And so they're there with us, and I thought, you know, uh, I, I'm kind of an old car enthusiast. And on Saturday nights, they have an old car show down at the pavilions, and so we can go down there. And I said, you suppose your folks would be interested? And she said, yeah, I think so. So we asked them, I said, yeah, let's go down there. So Saturday night, we head down there. And so where we are, it's like, here's McDonald's here, and they have a, a, a big a guy that plays records, big five-foot, six-foot-tall speakers with some up on the roof, and they're playing 50s music. And now they have, a, right up against the McDonald's curb is a, a row of parking places with old cars. And in the back of that is a row with, right in the back of that, another row, you know, where you pull up bumper to bumper. So there's that double row there, double row here, another double row, and a single row. Now, I started heading down here, and I'm coming back on this row. Get right about in the middle, and I hear a like, and it's Nancy over on the other side. And I look up, and she goes, I'm like, she's, oh. and so she's like, and she goes on. And they finish up, and they go into McDonald's, and they're waiting for me. Forty-five minutes later. I finish up, I come in and go. As soon as I walk through the door, they all get up and we leave. Now, did I catch that? No. I had a ball. So we get in the car, and I have a 57 Chevy, and so I had another one, and they drove it down, and I drove mine down. And so when, we, when I got in the car, Nancy says to me, I'm like, what? 
Now, do you hear that? What? That's my invitation for conversation. What? <laughs> Used to be she'd say nothing, but now she says to me, because she's become, over the years, 30 years, it took me to convince her that she's a good help, and she says, you know what? You are so selfish. I said, what do you mean? She says, well, we're there looking at the cars, and I give you the and you go, and I said, why is that selfish? She says, because you're over there all by yourself. I said, yeah, I'm looking at the cars. She says, you're not here to look at the cars. I am too. She says, no, you're not. Well, why am I here then? You are here as the host to your guests. Brand new concept. <laughs> and I'm thinking, boy, you know what? I am selfish. I didn't know that I was selfish. But then I say, can you think of other times that I'm selfish? And her computer goes bang and pops up this big printout. Because she's the family historian. Now, if I don't remember all these things, none of them even occurred to me. But now God got me to a place where I will accept, yes, I am selfish. And she can print me out a list. Now I have ample proof. Wow, I really, I really am selfish. Look at all these occasions where I'm selfish. Now I'm convicted. I can work on me. It won't just be her trying to work on me. She can even say, he's finally seen it good. I can give him the whole thing. And I work on it. And then at that point I can say to her, would you help me? Every time you see me doing something like this, would you let me know? And she's saying, yeah. And she's grateful that I'll let her do that, and I'm grateful to get the help because I did not see it before. So I find That's what my goal is. So then I look down here to the next one is joy. Kara. And so how do I define joy? Well, that is confidence in and submission to God's direction for my life. That is so nice. That is so enjoyable that I can be confident in and submissive to God's direction for my life. Why? Because I've already seen that his ways have great benefit in just this one area. Great benefit. So I can have confidence in and be submissive, submissive to God's direction for my life. I don't have to be fighting that all the time. And then recognizing God at work in my life and others. I recognize it. I've discovered I'm selfish. God wanted me to see that. He's at work in my life. Thank you, God, for loving me so much. You'd be willing even to chasten me when I need it. Those whom he loves, he chastens. And so what's the opposite of that so I can use that fear? It ain't going to turn out the way I wanted it. What's going to happen now? And so if I see that I'm fearful about something, I sure don't have joy. 
Now, these may not be opposites to you, and that's okay. I used them because they would help me discover my flesh and how then I could see my flesh and put my own flesh to death. And so then I next look at peace. And, and this is Irene. This is the word shalom. And so let me do with this what we did with the ancient Hebrew on love. And this is the first letter, sheen. And so the word shalom is sheen, lamed, vav, and mem. There's the modern Hebrew for shalom. But you see, again, this just tells me I already know what the definition for this is, and that's shalom, peace. But what if I want to find out what God meant by this? So, okay, let's find out. So I take the sheen, and in ancient Hebrew, it looks like this. Now, that's not a W. Those are actually fangs, like canine fangs, ripping, tearing, destroying. So this is the word for consume or destroy, or the letter picture for consume or destroy. This is lamed, and this is how it used to look. And it's uh, the staff, like the shepherd's staff or the walking staff. And so this was a sign of authority, the shepherd's staff. And so then here's the vav. And it's a nail. And whenever you take and use a nail on something, you fasten things together. You establish this. You establish your home. You build your home. You nail it together, etc. And so then this is the letter mim. And mim is an ocean. It's a large body of water, an ocean. And this is the word for chaos. So how did God want us to understand this word shalom, peace? Okay, it is destroy the authority that establishes chaos. And so here I get a chance to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. And what is this word again? Peace. That's what peace is. It's being able to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Guess who that is? Satan. Or even my own sin nature where my flesh is still operative, and it is destroying the peace in my family. So do I know how to get rid of that and understand what's involved in me getting peace because I can put my own flesh to death? And so what do we look at here? Okay, understanding God's ways. That I can learn how to understand God's ways. What are God's ways? How do they apply to me? Where can I see them? And, and may I... Again, recommend, guys, read the Bible from cover to cover. You want to understand God's ways? Read the Bible, cover to cover. It's in there. And then I look at the idea of having self-proven assurance that God is in control. And I have so many ways that I discover God really is in control. It's not an accident. For example... Uh, a lot of people recognize there sure seems to be a lot of difference between men and women. Boy, is there a lot of difference between men and women. And we see that women can be so emotional. And God is not caught off guard. God is not saying, oh, guys, I'm sorry. I didn't know they were going to be so emotional. I apologize. Would you try to deal with it? You can see it got by me. No, that's not what God said. He knows women are different because he made them different. And he made them different for a specific reason. Do we even know what that reason is? And then, not influenced 
by outside interruptions. I know what God intends for my life. I'm able to build on that. I intend to keep building on that. I'm not going to get interrupted by outside influences. And so what for me is the opposite of that? Confusion. And who's the author of confusion? Again, Satan. And so I I look at all this and I say, this is what God wants me to learn. And so I can use confusion, fear, and selfishness at this point to discover, am I even close to having the fruit of the Spirit? Is it a part of my life yet? Maybe on a couple of days I have some peace. I think, good, okay, we're getting, we're making progress. But then on other days I don't, and I find out I'm confused or I'm fearful or I'm selfish, and I can be selfish so easy. For example, if I go to the refrigerator and we're going to have leftovers, and I look in there and there's a big steak and a hamburger, you always going to get the steak, don't you? Me. I can give you all kinds of excuses. I'm bigger, use more energy, my stomach's bigger, it takes more to fill up. I can give you whatever excuse you like, but me is getting that steak. For example, if I go to the refrigerator and I see a me-sized chunk of strawberry cheesecake, see, I'm inclined to not even ask Nancy if she wants some, because she might say yes. (laughs) So I see this about me, and I can say, okay, but there's selfishness again. Is it rampant in my life? Yeah, basically. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so I find out that God was talking about me when he said that. So then I look at patience. Macrothemia. Large passion. It's talking about the idea that ultimately I want to be as far away from that as possible. And so how do I define that? Well, not having to have control over or be the author of my life's events. If all things happen for the good, then all things God means for good, I don't have to be the author of my life's events. God is. And you know what? He's good at it. He knows what I need today. He knows what I need tomorrow. And you know that I know right now that ten years from now, God is setting up circumstances that will help me learn more about Him When I get there, he's setting them up today. And so I don't have to be the author or not having to have my own way. And that means I'm not going to pout if I don't get my... Let's say that we're going to paint the house and and Nancy says, you know what I think would really be nice? would be yellow with a white trim. I'm like, yeah, but cream with a cocoa trim would really be nice. So we go around different neighborhoods pointing out the different colors. But now, and, and my intent is that we're going to have a cream-colored house with a chocolate trim. But now, if I'm supposed to die to myself to be like Christ, how many colors does a dead man pick out? Please go to CD number two for the remaining portion of the message.